I want to speak on praise. And let's look at Psalm 100. I, I, I'm going to read from my passages that I've got recorded here. I can't read that. It's, I have to go into the, the, the gulf. <laughs> so, okay. Psalm 100 says this, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his acts of power, praise him for his surpassing greatness, praise him with the sounding of a trumpet, praise him with a harp and a lyre, praise him with the tambourine and dancing, praise him with strings and flute, praise him with a clash of cymbals, praise him with the resounding cymbals, let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. That's actually Psalm 150. It's not Psalm 100. So, my favorite biblical character is David in the Old Testament. And my favorite story is the encounter that David had with Goliath. And he goes out. All of Israel, all the soldiers of Israel had gathered. Not one of them was prepared. But David, who arrives, who's not even a trained soldier, has the faith to go out and to fight Goliath. Where did he get this faith from? None of the others, not even Saul, who was the king who was head and shoulders, as the Bible describes, who was head and shoulders above everybody else, had the faith and the courage to go out and to fight Goliath. But I think that David knew where that faith came from. And he, as a shepherd boy looking after his father's sheep out on the hillside, learned the power of praise. He learned how to flow in praise. He learned the importance of praise. And that it was so essential in a believer's heart. David was called a man after God's own heart because he knew what it was to praise. He knew the value of praise. And the stronger the praise, the more reverberating the faith. Praise is more than just a casual point of contact where we can, uh, you know, suck in the, 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 the word of God and use it for our own benefit. Praise releases the word of God and puts it into action so that we can walk in faith. Now, somebody once said, prayer asks, but praise takes. Prayer talks about the problem, but praise takes the problem and receives the answer from God. Praise releases faith. And there is a very short verse in the book of Psalms, and it comes from Psalm 61 and verse 8, and this is what it says. So I will sing praise to your name forever. Now listen to this that I may daily perform my vows, that I may daily perform my vows. David knew that on a daily basis that he needed to spend time in praise and in worship. On a daily basis, he did that. When he was out on the hillside, wherever he was, he performed that daily commitment of praising God. And I think it was from that situation of daily praising that he had the faith to go out when he saw that giant across the valley of Eli, defined the, the name and the armies of God, he knew, I'm going to get you. And just faith began to rise up within him. I'm going to challenge you. And it was that faith that he had to go out and to challenge. And faith 
was something that David had, and it came from a daily commitment. So in Josh Jen, we worship a little differently. And unfortunately, we have not been able to do that here at the theater. Yes, we've enjoyed great air conditioning. And today, I'm very grateful for the air conditioning. It's 36 degrees outside. It is pumping hot. But what we do is that we reserve a big area in front of the musicians where we can gather. Now, the first time I went to a Josh Chen service, it was at Sunningdale, and what happened was that we're going to start the worship, and everybody ran to the front, and I'm thinking, this is so unusual. I was a Presbyterian and then a vineyard guy, and we just worship in our own, you know, the vineyard guys sometimes sit to they worship. Oh, we don't sit and worship. We stand, and we run to the front, and we raise our hands. So this massive pile of people in the front standing with their hands raised, and I thought, that's fantastic. That is just awesome. And a few years ago, Medlin and I were in London, and we went to a church called Ark, a radical church. And we were there. It's mostly from uh, guys who are descendant of West Indian. So they speak with a Caribbean accent. Uh, I think that's a Caribbean accent. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, these guys are tall. Uh, uh, our guys here in this country are short. I mean, they were tall. I mean, I was eyeballing them, and they were looking down on me. And I mean, it's very unusual for me because I'm a tall dude. But I mean, I, I, I was just so impressed. And they got together in the front. And all the men got together on one side. And at one point, they had arms and shoulders connected, and they were singing at the top of their voice. And it was just the most, I mean, I was so fascinated with their love for God at that moment. It, it, it spoke to me. And I thought, we need to do that. And so we're going to have a, a time of worship next week, and it's going to be a big open space, and we need to gather together to worship. How do people learn? Research has been put into this. People learn 1% through their senses, 10% through audible. That kills me because, I mean, I'm, this is audible. And you're only going to remember 10% of what I'm talking about. <laughs> however, however, 89% comes through visual stimulation. Seeing other people worship. You see, whatever they hear, they understand. Whatever they see, they believe. And that's the difference. So I'm going to speak a little bit about praise this morning. And the first thing that I want to do is to define reverence. Reverence. Now, I'm an ex-Presbyterian. And reverence had a very different definition. Come to church. You enter the church. You enter the sanctuary and you be quiet. You sit down. You listen to the organ music playing quietly in the background. The only movement that is permitted and that is allowed to stand to sing three hymns. And to move to the one side of your body to take out your wallet to pay for the privilege <laughs> of being in that mausoleum. <laughs> That's reverence. You leave the church in a hush as well. You see, I don't think that that's the biblical term of reverence. For me, reverence is respect for God and respect for his word. In other words, I need to respect his wishes, his commands, and follow closely what he desires from 
my life. Let's look at some of the scriptures. In Psalm 95 and verse 1, Oh, come, let us sing for joy. Let us shout joyfully to the God of our salvation. Psalm 101, shout joyfully to the Lord. Serve the Lord with, with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. Psalm 134 and verse 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Psalm 149 and verse 3. Let them, let them praise his name with dancing. You see, for too long we have been fed this mis misdefinition of reverence. Filled with all of these theological axioms given to us, given to us. But we have not allowed God to move in our hearts and to respond accordingly with praise. The Bible says, praise God with dancing. You know, some people say, oh, I only praise God when the Spirit moves upon me. The Spirit has already moved and in God's word it says, praise God with dancing. Praise God with dancing, praise God with raised hands, praise God with clapping. If you don't want that kind of worship, then you need to get a pair of scissors, pick up your Bible, and carefully go through the Bible and cut out all the pieces from the Bible. And then with your emaciated and highly reduced Bible, you'll feel quite comfortable and feel very reverent. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that praise is becoming to the upright. In other words, it is beautiful to those who are upright. The contemporary English version says, You are the Lord's people. Obey him and celebrate. And he deserves your praise. He deserves your praise. You see, becoming is that which is proper, that which is right, that which is fitting, that which is appropriate and suitable. And, you know, that's what we need to do is to praise God. So, you know that the Bible is a very noisy book. Yeah? When, you, when you praise God, you have to be quiet. No, no. I want to I just share some passages that speak of how noisy the Bible is. First of all, you must know that creation was a noisy event. God was creating the universe, that must have been super noisy. Then some of the great events that took place in the Bible, we see in the crucifixion in Matthew 27, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, and behold, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. It's a very interesting thing, is that God wanted to get out not so much people wanted to get in. It wasn't torn from the bottom to the top. It was God who was in the Holy of Holies that wanted to get out to be with his people. And the, the veil in the, the temple was torn from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split. And the tombs were opened. And many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. I mean, the, the crucifixion was a noisy event. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The Good News Version says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise. Hey, God started the noise. And when God makes a noise, it's a noise. 
and the Holy Spirit began to fall. The second coming of Christ is going to be an unusually noisy experience for the entire universe. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. When the Lord shouts, you must know it's going to be loud. But not only is the Lord going to shout with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. The second coming is going to be a noisy event. The psalmist says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I love that because that includes me. The noise part, eh? <laughs> make a joyful noise. There are two qualifications here. It has to be joyful and it has to be unto the Lord. Those are the two qualifications. And if it ends up where you can't even carry a tune in a bucket or in a shower, you know, in a very closed environment, your voice always sounds a little better. But when it's out in the open and you start to sing, oh, you always hit off key. I'm grateful that God says a noise, a noise. Psalm 98 and verse 4 says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Bring forth and sing for joy and sing praises. When I was in the United States, I just finished my university education and I was blessed to travel through the United States for a period of almost a year, visiting churches, seeing what churches were doing over there, uh, looking at the area of church growth, um, and just had the opportunity of being able to watch, see, and learn. But while I was staying in a uh, minister's home, pastor's home, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, the wife, I thought that she was, a, you know, I'd come out of Rhodes University, very liberal, talking about biblical criticism and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and so this person who had just such a childlike faith, I thought she was a little fruitcake-ish, you know? I mean, just like, really? And I mean, the one morning she got up and she was just bubbling, just so filled with the joy of the Lord. And she's like a perpetual Alka-Seltzer, like a, a glass of Eno's, you know, always going on. I'm mean, thinking, I've just woken up, lady, give it a break, you know. I mean, just such ugly feelings and, and thoughts towards her. And she said, you know, the Lord has made everything. He's made the heavens. He's made the mountains, made the sky, made, this, made the clouds, made the rivers, made water for us to drink, made a body for Jesus. And I'm thinking, oh, beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> and as I was thinking these negative thoughts, I almost sensed the Lord say to me, Richard, what can you make? Can you make a flower? Can you make a tree? Can you make a mountain? No, no, no. Can you make healing? No. What can you make? I said, a joyful noise. That's all that he has given to us to make is a joyful noise. And it needs to be unto the Lord. That's what the Bible says. You see, I've come to understand and realize that praise is an essential thing for a well-balanced Christian life. It's not a charismatic peculiarity. 
It's not a Pentecostal idiosyncrasy. It's not a cultic exercise, but it runs systematically through the Word of God. And when men and women down through history and in the Bible have looked up into the face of God and raised their hands and lifted up their voice, they have extolled his wonderful name. That's when God moves in and changes the dynamic in their lives. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. There's a lovely story of John Wesley. John Wesley was, he moved out of the Anglican church and had his own movement, was responsible along with George Whitfield and his brother, uh, Charles Wesley. But, but John Wesley was also very musical and was in his pulpit in London and he was preaching and there was a lady always sat in the front row. And she always sang two keys, two notes off key. Always. And he just couldn't abide this the one day. And the one day he leaned over the pulpit and he said, Dear lady, do you have to always sing off key? And without batting an eyelid, she just looked back at John Wesley and said, But Mr. Wesley, my heart is so happy. And he said, Sing on, dear sister. Sing on. Make a happy record unto the Lord. Be joyful. Be joyful. And that's the characteristic of the Christian faith. We are to weep with those who weep. Yes, sadness is going to be part of our lot in life. But the characteristic in terms of our personality and our life in God is that of joy. We weep with those who weep, but we rejoice with those who rejoice. We also see, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say, rejoice. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 he says, rejoice always. minister was walking down the path of his house and he heard this bzzz, bzzz. And He looked around and he saw a little bee. It was spinning around. It had suffered an accident and it only had one wing. And it was trying to fly and it couldn't take off. And it was just spinning around in a circle. And he looked at this little bee, this little creature, for a moment and God spoke to him. He went back inside and he sat down at his desk and he wrote a song. And this is what it said. When you pray but cannot get your answer through, when you get discouraged and know not what to do. Cease to beg and plead, but hallelujahs raise, and your petitions will ascend on wings and of praise. Rise and soar into the sunlight rays, using both your wings of prayer and praise. You see, the Christian life is not only about praying. It's also about praising. And we can't Go wrong. As we come into the presence of God and to stand there with lifted hands and say, thank you, God. We bless and we praise you for all that you've done. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his salvation. Thank you for his redemption. Thank you for his death on the cross. Thank you for his shed, spilt blood. Thank you for his Holy Spirit. Thank you for the communion of saints. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And we see what praise does. God wants his people not only to pray, but to praise as well. Praise and prayer always go together. Prayer without praise is unbelief. 
Praise anticipates the victory. Praise acknowledges that the answer is on the way. Prayer makes the devil tremble, but praise causes him to flee. So, let me give you some reasons. We praise God because he commands it. He commands it. Psalm 149 and verse 1, it says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise you, the Lord. It's not a suggestion. It's not a request. It's a command. Once again, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. How often? Occasionally? No. It says continually. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. It needs to be a sacrifice. Sometimes you don't feel like doing it. And it needs to be the fruit of our lips. People sometimes see me uh, uh, during the week or I speak to them during the week and say, Hey Rich, I'm sorry that I wasn't with you at church on Sunday, but I was with you at, in spirit. I'm thinking, what is, that sounds awfully spooky to me. I was with you in spirit. I would rather see your bodies in church than having your spirits here. And praising God in my heart and not the fruit of our lips is awfully spooky. The Bible doesn't say it needs to be the fruit of our lips. And God has requested and required us to praise him. And we need to praise him because not for God's benefit but for ours. E. Stanley Jones, the great preacher who went and spent many years in India, says, man is constitutionally built to praise God. You know, so we say, God is sitting on his throne, and there are lots of angels all around, and he's got a big stick, and he says, praise me, praise me, praise me. I mean, how, how wrong a concept. He's not an egotistical, egomaniac and says, praise me, praise me. God doesn't need our praise. But he has put something in us that requires us to praise. We are fulfilling our personhood and fulfilling our personality when we praise this incredible being. That's why we praise God. Paul and Silas in Acts 16 got arrested and they were jailed for preaching the gospel. They were put in stocks. Was that there? Feet, legs, arms were in stocks. They couldn't move. And they were in the middle of the jail. It was midnight. And they said, let's do something unusual. That for the normal, natural person, this would seem ridiculous. Let's praise the Lord. So they start to sing. And they start to praise. And God comes in and causes an earthquake. The stocks come flying off. The prison doors come flying open. And they are all free to leave. They didn't. But they're free to leave. They were released from that bondage. Why? Because they spent time in praise. Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament is sitting in his place, temple, uh, palace, and he is surrounded by three armies, huge armies. And he says to his soldiers, don't take arrows and pull back your bow and let the arrows go. Just put those down 
and raise your hands in praise to God. I think that the armies were so befuddled and discombobulated by this event that they, they started to fight one another and they started to kill one another off. But what, what happened was that they began to praise God. Joseph praised God while he was in, Egypt, in, in Egypt's prison and he was elevated to prime minister. John praised God while he was on the Isle of Patmos. And while he was there, he didn't go into a place of depression, but he started to praise God. And as a result, he got the vision of the book of Revelation, and he wrote down the book of Revelation. Job praised God while his body was covered with boils, and he received healing and restored prosperity. The three Hebrew children that took a hot dance in a furnace were delivered from that furnace and received protection. Daniel praised God while the lions were waiting to dine from him. And most saints, instead of lifting up their voice and lifting up their hearts and their heads in praise, go into a place of defeat and discouragement and failure. We need to learn how to praise. Praise is for our benefit. The third one, the second one is praise is a sign of life. Psalm 115 and verse 17, and I'm glad I didn't say this. It says, the dead do not praise the Lord. The dead do not praise the Lord. You know, speech is an indication of life. When Jesus in Luke chapter 7 raised a boy from death, the boy sat up and he spoke. Speech is an indication of life. The people who are spiritually dead don't praise God. Speech is an indication. You see, though, what comes out of your mouth, you can see whether they have a relationship with God or not. And, and, and speech is an indication of life. And that's why it is so important for those that curse him, for those that belittle him, that, that they have no spiritual life. They are dead in their trespasses and their sins. Psalm 119 and verse 175 says, Let my soul live that I may praise thee. Bump the person next to you and say, Hallelujah, I'm alive. Psalm 146 and verse 2 says, I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Hmm. Speech is an indication of life. But I want to say, God has given us the gift of eternal life. When we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there is built inside of us eternal life. But I want to emphasize something here. God has given to us eternal life. Where's the emphasis? On the life. The duration with God is never an issue. It's the life that he has given to us. He has given us that abundant life. And life is the thing that we express when we are born again, when we are filled with the Spirit. It is the life that we express to the Lord. Let me tell you a joke. You need a joke. A good Presbyterian pastor, very staid in Scotland, very, very staid, very traditional, 
had a woman, poor but lovely woman in church, that while he was preaching, she used to cry out, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, Amen. And it always was at a part in his sermon where he needed to concentrate. And her crying out always put him off. So she went to him, he went to her at the beginning of the year and said, look, I really want to make a deal with you. If you keep quiet through the service and allow me to concentrate on my sermon and not cause me to be distracted, uh, I will, at Christmas time, at the end of this year, give you two lovely woolen blankets. She was poor, and the wooden blankets sounded like a great deal. So for the first part of the year, she kept really quiet. And then as it got towards the end of the year, there was a, an opportunity where he went away with his family, the pastor, the minister, they went away with the family, and they were away, and they had a visiting preacher, and he was speaking about the forgiveness of sins and the blessings that flow from that forgiveness, and she couldn't contain herself. And at, at the particular point in the message, she stood up in front of the whole church and said, blankets or no blankets, hallelujah, and praise the Lord. <laughs> praise is a sign of life. The third one, praise is a weapon against our enemy. It's a weapon against our enemy. King David, when he was playing in Saul's palace, Saul had a demonic spirit. But in his playing, it calmed him down. But it, it, it caused that confrontation that took place between Saul and David to the point where Saul uh, threw a spear at David. Fortunately, it missed. And there was this, this, this confrontation that, that took place. You see, the lordship of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his lordship uh, is, is, is never at question. He's lord of heaven. And our time of praise, we pull that authority down, his lordship down onto earth and we establish his lordship and his authority here on earth. And that's what praise does. We see in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 30 and 31, we see the Lord says, I'm going to shatter the Assyrians. But how is he going to shatter the Assyrians? With every stroke that you make on your tambourines and on your hops, I'm going to strike the enemy. So, you know, these musicians come up and they play. I don't know if you know that there is spiritual warfare going on when they play, play those instruments. They play those instruments and God is striking the enemy. Now, I don't know if you know and you've been in a service where there's been high praise and the worship is just so, so incredible and so intense Demonic spirits start to manifest. We had that once in a service here, and there was a woman that, was, that, was, that was started to cry out. Cry out, and then she collapsed on the floor. I was just chatting to Devet earlier, and he was one of his first services in, in, in the church. And he, he kind of, what's going on? What's going on? I mean, it comes out of a Dutch Reformed background. He says, what's going on? Is she, is she okay? Yeah, she's okay. She's okay. She, people are praying for now. And I mean, there's this screech and this wail that came out of her and the demon was gone. You know, the demons are always outnumbered two to one. 
It's only one third of heaven that fell. And I mean, not only do they, are they outnumbered, but they also have to contend with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I don't know why we have to be afraid of demonic spirits, but praise causes that confrontation to take place. Psalm 8 and verse 2. Just put that up. Uh, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So what that basically is saying, praise, in my own paraphrased version, praise causes the devil to shut up. That's what it says. And that's why we praise. Because it is a direct confrontation saying, you don't have a say here. And then lastly, praise creates a throne for King Jesus. Psalm 22 and verse 3. But you are holy and you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. You know, as we praise God, he's always king. He's king of heaven. He's king of earth. But what we do in our congregational time is we create a throne for him to come, to be seated as king. We create that throne of praise. I'm going to read some statements, and you can respond accordingly. These are great statements. Jesus is my king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the Lord of lords. I wonder, church, do you know him? No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He is enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast and immortally graceful. He's empirically powerful and impartially merciful. He is the greatest phenomenon that's ever crossed the horizon of the, of the world. He is God's son. He is the sinner's savior. He is the centerpiece of all civilization. I wonder, church, do you know him? He stands alone in the solitude of himself. He is august. He is unique. He is unparalleled. He is unprecedented. He is supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He is the greatest personality in philosophy. He is the fundamental doctrine of theology. He is the miracle of the age. He is the only one qualified to be the all-sufficient savior. He's my king. I wonder, church, do you know him? He can satisfy all your needs. He supplies strength to the weak. He is available to the tempted and the tired. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He is the one who blesses the young and regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. He's my king. I wonder, church, do you know him? I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. Because he's incomprehensible. He's irresistible because he's invincible. You can't get him off your hands and you can't get him out of your head. You can't outlive him 
and you can't live without him. Herod couldn't kill him. Pilate couldn't find any fault with him. And witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree in discrediting him. Death can't handle him. And thank God the grave can't hold him. And nobody, nobody is there before him. Nobody was there after him. He has no predecessor. He has no successor. You can't impeach him. And he's not going to resign. He's my king. I wonder, church, do you know him? 